You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What I don't get, maybe you can help me with it tonight, what I don't get is we claim to be in a season of chaos. We claim college football is the most unpredictable sport in the world, and I always agree. I always agree when we say that, and yet we get to weeks like this, and if you dare to even tiptoe around the idea that a single upset's going to happen, people call you an idiot. And I just ask you this. You know, people call the JP poll stupid all the time. Well, I ask you this. If I were to tell you in August... We're going to have half a dozen undefeated teams in the ACC at the end of September, and none of them are going to be Clemson. In fact, Clemson isn't even going to be just a one-loss team. You would have called that dumb. And yet here we are. So, like, never make fun of predictions because the stupider they sound, half the time the more likely they are to come true. We are jam-packed high atop a somewhat rainy downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's late kick Thursday, September 28th, the year of our Lord, 2023 are upsets on the horizon. This is where I don't look at the camera. I look through the camera and freak people out in the process. Be glad you're listening on podcast right now if you are. But Kansas is going to Texas Saturday. Michigan's going to Nebraska. Uh, Georgia's going to Auburn. All these big favorites going out on the road. Notre Dame's going to Duke. It's a five and a half point line and people aren't even talking about it. Well, we are. We're talking about it here. I'm going to do some game predictions tonight. There, there was just mass hysteria when we didn't do South Carolina, Tennessee the other night. We're going to do it tonight, guys. I just couldn't fit it all the other night. Immunity. We're going to do it tonight. I got Kublik on the show. A very, very poignant and well-rounded discussion with him because I happen to think that a major coach is going to retire in the next three years because of NIL and the portal and whatnot. I think that, and I'm going to talk about that with him. They're watching us in Fort Worth, Texas. They're watching us in Jefferson City, Missouri. San Diego, California is tuned in. Glasgow, Kentucky, and hopefully Glasgow, Scotland tuned in as well. I am so excited to tell you that, well, I'm excited to tell you every week the Instagram page is must follow because I give you all kinds of behind-the-scenes content in the Instagram story. That's also where we have Friday Night Lines which is a live broadcast exclusively on Instagram on Friday nights where we go over the final betting picks for the week. And I take your feedback and you ask me about a game. I look at the model. I tell you what it says, but I'm excited to tell you this week, I'm going to be in Columbus, Georgia. I'm going to be down home and maybe even in Harris County, Georgia. And that's where Friday night lines will emanate from. So, Hey, I can guarantee you good food, good signal. And that's about all I can guarantee you. Hopefully winners, but I never guarantee that. All right, let's dive into the show. So boom, double clap. Upsets could be on the horizon in week five. Some, the casuals would call this a sort of sleepy weekend. That just means it's a dangerous weekend. Look at Michigan. Michigan has not played anyone. Michigan's going on the road. They're facing Nebraska. Nebraska 
all of a sudden kind of re-jump-started themselves when they benched Jeff Sims. And you got a new quarterback in there, and they, they're kind of rejuvenated, but then Michigan comes into town, and we'll just see. Michigan's scores are wild. Every score has been the same. They've scored 30, 35, 31, 31. Their opposition has scored 3, 7, 6, 7. Yeah, it's just like razor-sharp efficiency. So we could have a game that looks like that again this weekend, or it could be Michigan has some flaws that haven't been exposed yet. Maybe the road shakes them a little bit. But I know, like even though we're talking upset potential here, I also know there's a world where Michigan's a team just ready to turn it on, and they know they haven't had to yet. And as soon as they do... I mean, they can gear up. Like, everyone's wondering, ooh, if Michigan plays like they do, could Nebraska play up to that level? Maybe Michigan plays at a level higher than they played before. So, I'm going to pay attention to it. We did take Nebraska and the points. I'm going to put a 7.25 on the upset alert meter for this one. Very exact. We go by the quarter point around here now. Uh, fewest points per game allowed by an FBS team this year, by the way, Michigan, 5.8. That's pretty good, even on the metric system. Next up, oh my goodness, next up, Clemson goes to Syracuse. Syracuse upset Michigan one time in the Carrier Dome, and forevermore people will say, be careful going to the Carrier Dome. So the line on this game is six and a half. Clemson favored. They just came off a gut-wrenching overtime loss to Florida State. Some would say their season's goals went up in smoke. And that just means you have to redefine your goals. That's so easy for me to say. All I have to do is sit behind a microphone. They actually have to do it in person. This is a Super Bowl for Syracuse, obviously. Syracuse is undefeated. Clemson's a two-loss team. Oh, by the way, it's a good spot in the show to stop for a second and ask, are you what your record says you are? Are you? No, everyone quotes Bill Parcells forgetting he said it about pro football. You are not what your record says you are exclusively in college. Here's the evidence. A two-loss team is favored by a touchdown in an undefeated team's building. They play in the same conference. So you're not always what your record says you are. That doesn't mean Syracuse can't win this game, though. I'm worried about it. For Clemson, I'm worried about it. So you're going to find out what kind of heart and what kind of resolve and competitive character they've got in that building. I'm going to put an eight on this one, only because it's unfamiliar territory. When have we ever seen Clemson in this spot? If Bama loses an another game... The following week, I'll ask the same thing about them. How are they going to look? We, it's foreign territory. We don't know. So it's an eight for me on the upset alert meter. Notre Dame's going to Duke. Notre Dame, I saw in person, have a game snatched from them by Ohio State last week. I'm not saying they gave it away because you can't give a game away if the other team doesn't take it. <sighs> this line's five and a half, guys. Notre Dame is going to Duke, and it's not being talked about nationally, and it's because it's Duke. And it doesn't matter that Duke already beat Clemson. People will not respect Duke football because of what I just said. It's Duke football. So here's what I did. To help, to help you, I prepared a helpful mental exercise. I had producer Jesse look at the AP poll because I don't believe in it. Jesse told me that the teams sort of around where Duke is in the AP poll are North Carolina and Miami. So I want you to pretend that Notre Dame's going to North Carolina Saturday or Notre Dame's going to Miami Saturday. All of a sudden, voila, the nation takes the game a lot more seriously. That's how you should be looking at this game. And I've got external dynamic questions about Notre Dame as well. Now, their season's not up in smoke, but 
They just got beat by Ohio State. They got to get right back up. They got back-to-back road games against Duke Louisville before they come home for USC. There is no time to lick your wounds here. They got to go on the road, and I'll tell you what they've got to do. Don't turn the ball over a whole bunch in plus territory. That'd be factor number one. Factor number two is they got to take Sam Hartman. If he is the strength and soul of that offense, and they got to ride him. Because uh, Riley Leonard can get it done for Duke. They got to ride Sam Hartman. You, you don't need to, in other words, you don't need to put the game in doubt and play another game in the teens, low 20s. You need to score. Score points. That's such advanced analytics right there. Score points to win football games. But I've got a nine on this one. Because Duke's just a flat-out good team. It's not like Notre Dame has to mess around a whole lot and give a game away. Duke could just flat-out win the game. They're that good. So, yeah, there's a nine on the upset alert meter. This is one of the premier games of Saturday. I don't care who tells you otherwise. I'm going to be in Auburn. Uh, We've already done the game breakdown. It's on the YouTube channel if you want to find it individually. Georgia's a 14.5-point favorite at Auburn. I've been at this game many a time. Very heated. Uh, Auburn has no shot when they go to Georgia. Auburn has not a great shot in this one, but the reason I'm interested in it, the reason that I have focused on it and the reason I'm going to it is because Georgia's not as good at the moment as most of the country thinks they are. Uh, they're a very good team, and it's, it's a year to be down a little bit because there may not be an elite team out there. I think internally Georgia, Georgia knows what I'm talking about. Like Georgia knows whatever their standard is, they're not quite there. They don't quite have that depth. They don't quite have that top-end skill in their starting 22. That's a first-world Georgia problem. Because they still way outclass Auburn. And they way outclass most of college football. But I say all that to ask this. What, what about Georgia could get exposed this weekend? And, and if the answer's nothing, then the answer's nothing. Like I'm speaking very hypothetically here. You're going on the road for the first time. Auburn looked so horrible offensively last week that I think it spurs change inside the offensive mechanisms of this program. Maybe at quarterback, maybe at play calling. I talked about that the other day. It's not a guarantee. When you throw a bunch of new stuff against a wall, sometimes nothing sticks. Sometimes one or two things, maybe three things stick, and maybe they're a difference in a football game. So in college football, I always love the spot, and we got several of them this weekend. I love the spot where a team goes on the road and loses and then comes home in wounded animal mode. Colorado's in that situation. Ole Miss is in that situation. Auburn is in that situation. And it wouldn't surprise me if all three of them found a way to make their games dogfights, respectively, in the second half this weekend. And so with this one, since I'm going to be there, I'm going to put a 6.75 on the upset alert meter. Maybe Robbie Ashford, maybe he has his moment this weekend. Maybe Hugh Freeze just draws some stuff up in the dirt over there, and maybe they just, just strike gold a couple of times. And also, Auburn's defense is going to play at a high enough level along with that home crowd to keep you in the football game. It would surprise me if Georgia was able to run away and hide from them because I don't think Georgia offensively is, is that team right now. So let's keep an eye. Right team is favored, but let's keep an eye on this one. Uh, last one, we hadn't talked about this game all week. Bama's going to Mississippi State. Bama's favored by 14 and a half. I like Alabama a lot in this one. We're not taking them as a Ramen Noodle Express best bet. I think they're going to win and cover over there. I've only got a four on the upset alert meter here. Like I, I, 
I don't think Mississippi State defensively, although they're very seasoned and experienced and elderly, if you want to use that term in college, I don't think they're particularly good. And so, you know, Texas kind of fooled people when they beat Alabama. And it's almost like folks don't realize Texas is an extremely good team. Um, Mississippi State is not. And so I think Alabama found themselves in the second half against the other team from the Magnolia State last week at home. I think they're going to go on the road and do some work here. And then it's on to Texas A&M the following week. So I wouldn't, I'm not as concerned about that one. I actually think Bama's going to cover. The other ones I have mild to moderate to severe concern about, and that's the upset alert meter. By the way, we're going to be down in Auburn for Georgia-Auburn And not surprisingly, as the Once Upon a Saturday tour rolls into Auburn, or as I call it, Lee County, the Once Upon a Saturday tour shirt for this week is almost our best seller ever. And we've still got, what, 48 hours to sell the thing. We only put it on sale one week. So we go somewhere and we're in Auburn this Saturday. This shirt is gone. Once the clock strikes midnight Saturday, you cannot buy this anymore. And the warehouse tells me, This shirt is on pace to pass Alabama when we went there as the best-selling shirt we've ever had. And that was Texas, Alabama. That was a big commemorative item. Colin tells me his family bought 20 of them just to put them on the black market as resale around Christmas. And I don't think it's the worst idea in the world, honestly. I, I have always dreamed since I was a little boy to create a product that was legal, that there was a big black market for. And all of a sudden we got it. And who knew? It's just a Once Upon a Saturday Tour t-shirt. So there you go. You got uh, PateStateMaterial.com, by the way, is the website. PateStateMaterial.com. And it's there, and it's there for about 48 more hours. Let's, let's take a sip from the chalice, first and foremost. And let's, let's do some more game predictions here. Some of you were stunned the other night on Tuesday when I did not predict South Carolina-Tennessee. But that's because we're doing it on Thursday. South Carolina, Tennessee, Saturday, 7.30 Eastern kickoff. Kublik's got the game. Kublik and company going to be in Knoxville, 7.30 SEC Network. But what happened last year? I I would imagine you'll hear this a lot. South Carolina just embarrassed Tennessee. They splattered him. It was a Sarah McLaughlin special last year. 63-38 to was the final. I believe, if memory serves me correctly, South Carolina was coming off a game where they didn't score an offensive point against Florida. It was the most dumbfounding result in the entire college football season to me. Spencer Rattler, like a a retro paper pop padlock stat here. He was 30 of 37, 438 yards through the air, six touchdowns he accounted for. And yet I'm going to ask you, could we see the exact opposite in this game? Could we see Joe Milton's breakout performance here? South Carolina's defense is the worst in power five in pass yards per game given up. Milton has not lit things up through the air yet. Yet. In this game last year, South Carolina did a ton of stuff they had not yet done to that point. I almost wonder if the inverse happens this year. South Carolina's defense has given up 10 passes of 30-plus yards. That's 119th in the country. Tennessee is 106th offensively in explosive pass plays. So they haven't done it yet. Maybe they're finally facing the team they can do it against. And all of a sudden, if you get some new new layer or facet, a.k.a. the explosive pass from Tennessee's offense this week, maybe it's their hello game. Maybe it's their ignition turn game. And maybe all of a sudden, we're looking and saying, wow, 
Tennessee kind of did in this game what South Carolina did last year. Just a thought. Florida ran it on Tennessee. Okay, That's why Florida beat Tennessee. They ran it on Tennessee. They owned the game physically. South Carolina to this point in the year, 2.3 yards per carry. That's dead last in the SEC. Now, there is reason to be optimistic that maybe they're finding some things at running back. Tennessee's defense, though, 4.2 yards per play allowed. That's the best in the SEC. You don't think that about Tennessee, do you? Tennessee's defense has not been terrible this year at all. There is a key player in this game. On one side, it's Milton, and certainly it's the quarterbacks. But if I were to go beyond Spencer Rattler, Xavier Leggett has just become like an all-American star at South Carolina. That dude has more receiving yards than the next five pass catchers combined at South Carolina. So I don't want to overstate the most obvious point in the world. But if you're Tennessee... You don't want to let him beat you. And sometimes this year it hasn't mattered whether you want to or not. He just has beaten you. Tennessee's gotten, defensively, 16 sacks. That's third in FBS this year. South Carolina, 127th in sacks allowed. You'll notice I keep on giving these key metrics and they keep on tilting Tennessee. So, Colin, I figure it's about time to show what Vegas thinks and what the model thinks. Vegas has Tennessee at 11.5, minus 11.5 right now. The model is bullish, and it's bullish on Tennessee. So just as we sat here two weeks ago, and the model said Florida's going to beat Tennessee outright, that same model is now saying not only is Tennessee going to win, Tennessee's going to cover. Helpful number from Jesse and company. Tennessee is 13-1 and under Heupel when scoring 30-plus points. I think Tennessee's going to win. I think they're going to find a way to cover. I think it's a very personal game. I think it's a very highly charged environment. Neyland will be, Neyland Stadium will be one of the spectacle environments this Saturday night. It may not make sense to the rest of the country, but those folks have been geared up for this one since the clock struck zero last year. They've circled it. They got it in prime time. It's going to be a good environment. Uh, Director Colin will be there. And so I think they're going to win the game. I think they're going to cover. There's a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Many of you are going to that game. Many of you are going to games all across the country this Saturday. And I I bless that. I encourage that. I welcome that. But I strongly advise you, if not implore you, go to Academy Sports and Outdoors first. You need a canopy or maybe you just flat out need a tent. I don't know what you want to do the night before, but they've got you covered. Maybe you need a grill. Academy Sports and Outdoors has you covered. Maybe you need grilling equipment and utensils. Academy Sports and Outdoors has you covered. If you can't get there in person to buy all your folding chairs and other tailgating essentials, academy.com has you covered. And they've got us covered because they present our show to you free of charge. We appreciate it. Fingers crossed. I hope you appreciate it. And it's a wonderful place to be any time of year, but especially this time of year. 
because man, football season is a great time in general. Academy gets us. Like they get college football season. The folks who run Academy are all college football diehards. I know because I deal with them. That's why we are partnered with them. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, if you can't get there in person, academy.com. Tell them I sent you. It won't get you a discount. I'm not saying it will, but it will make me feel better that you're getting the word about our show out there. All right. I got some best bets coming up for you. I got Cole Kublik, really good discussion with Kublik coming up. You're going to want to listen to Kansas at Texas this Saturday, 3.30 Eastern kickoff, 2.30 local time. It's on ABC. It's a, it's a situational special here because the number is Texas minus 16 and a half. So why are we breaking this game down? Well, situations are as follows. Texas rolled Baylor last week. They're feeling really good about themselves. Number two. They've got Oklahoma on deck, and all eyes are on that game. And meanwhile, here comes Kansas with the most returning production in the country, undefeated, just kind of tiptoeing into Austin. Everyone remembers two years ago, they came in there and they upset Texas. But what I remember is this game also happened last year, but no one's talking about last year's game. And the reason is because Texas splattered Kansas all over their own building, 55-14. to 14. So how do we prevent that from happening again? How could the upset happen here? What needs to change from last year to this year? Well, number one, Kansas needs to run the ball. Uh, they're 13th in FBS in running right now. That's great. Problem being, Texas doesn't let anyone run on them. They're giving up less than 90 rushing yards per game. So it's a top 20 rushing offense against a top 20 rushing defense. I think the edge goes to Texas here. And if I'm right about that, that means we got to have a Superman spot here. We got to have a Superman Saturday for Jalen Daniels. Because if we don't, if that quarterback for Kansas does not go off, the blue chip ratio is ugly. The blue chip ratio, and that just means the total four and five star players on each roster, Texas 56, Kansas 6. So you've got to have your quarterback go off. He's got to throw it. He's got to run it. He's got to extend plays. He's got to make those wow plays. And if he's going to pick one Saturday to do it disproportionately, this is it. They need to force turnovers. Thing about Quinn Ewers is he's been pretty good for Texas this year. 12 touchdowns, more importantly, no interceptions. So they've got to force a couple of turnovers. They got to catch Texas sleepwalking. They've got to play with their hair on fire. And they've also got to flip the script in the second half. Texas and how welcome is this statement if you're a Longhorn fan? Texas has been a second-half team this year. They're outscoring opponents 73-28 to 28 in second halves. And that's after a couple of years of folks saying, don't worry, just keep it close at halftime. We'll overtake them in the second half. Texas sucks. Sark can't get it done in the second half. In the words of Steve Sarkeesian, you are what you're intentional about. That's what he said after they beat Alabama. They've been intentional about owning the second half in these games, and all of a sudden, voila, they're a second-half team. Colin, let's take a look at what the odds makers think. Let's compare that to what the model thinks. Vegas has Texas minus 16 and a half, and I've got to be honest with you, just like the Tennessee game, we're fatter on Texas than Vegas is. The model's got Texas minus 20. I am going to be bold here. I'm not betting money on this game, but I am going to be bold, and I'm actually going to say Texas wins it and covers. I don't think they're going to look ahead. I think even if they do, they can make up ground in the second half. I think Texas wins it. I think Texas covers. 
And then I think all eyes shift to Dallas, Texas, Cotton Bowl, 11 a.m. local time next Saturday. Red River Shootout. Even I'm talking about it. Even I'm looking ahead. But I can look ahead because I don't have to play the games. Let's go Ramen Noodle Express and then let's get Kublik in here. I, I hope he'll be ready by then. So, had an interesting situation earlier today. The Ramen Noodle Express, I've already got several games on the board, so I'll tell you those, then I'll tell you what happened earlier today. So the games we're already on for week five are as follows. Iowa State plus 21, Fresno State minus 22 and a half, Nebraska plus 18 and a half, San Diego State plus 10 and a half, BYU plus one and a half, Wyoming minus 14. Those are the games we were already on. A reminder... This Friday night, you got to be following on Instagram at Late Kick Josh because I'll do Friday night lines and that's when I'll tack on the final best bets. And that happens Friday night. I'll send out a, a reminder about an hour or so beforehand. So a lot of you are, a lot of you are missing that because you're not following on Instagram at Late Kick Josh. Make sure you're following there. But as for what happened earlier today, we triggered on a couple of bets and they both happened to be Thursday night games. So again, if you were following on Twitter or Instagram at Late Kick Josh, you got these earlier in the day. If you're listening now, the games are going on as we speak. One of them is Middle Tennessee State plus six and a half, and the other one is Tulsa minus three and a half. And there they are. So that's that's eight games we're on total. Two of them are already happening right now. Several more are still to be added. So Colin, let's full screen it and let's show the folks Iowa State, Fresno State, Nebraska, San Diego State. I'm doing this for those listening on podcast. BYU, Wyoming, Tulsa, Middle Tennessee State with several more probably to be added Friday night. And now some are calling it the most popular segment in all of sports talk. I'm calling it just another Thursday. Cole Cuts, Cole Kubelik joining us. You are headed to Neyland this weekend. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you've had some, some storied trips to Neyland Stadium in recent history. Am I right? I have. Yes, absolutely. Was there for uh, the Ole Miss Lane Kiffin uh, first visit back a couple of years ago. And, and I'm excited about this one, though, because I've talked to multiple Tennessee fans, as I assume you have, that are saying this is the one game. Yep. This is the game they're going to, the game they're going to tailgate for, the one game they got tickets for, the one game they have to be there in person for this year. I think Neyland's going to be rocking. Uh, Spencer Rattler's playing great football. Obviously, Tennessee's done some good things this year. But that revenge factor is, I think it's going to bring up a lot of emotions come Saturday night. Yeah, they had half a 120 hung on them last year. I was at that game. I don't know if you remember. I was standing in the end zone. It was, it was kind of chilly. It wasn't cold, but it was kind of chilly by Southern standards. I had a cup of coffee in my hand. You walked by and said, man, I could use some of that. And I said, oh, hey. Didn't offer any, didn't offer to go get you any. Just said, that's cool. Yeah, you probably can. You probably, you probably would like some of this. And then we, uh, we ended up standing on like the 20-yard line as debris rained down on the field. Really fun time was had by all. Um, you remember that when, when Cadillac took over after Harson got fired and they had that A&M game where it was just on fire. You were there for that one too. I think the rest of the country looked at that atmosphere that night and said, why is that place so jacked up? I think you could have that. Saturday night down there. That Tennessee game is going to be on fire, and people in North Dakota are going to say, am I missing something? This isn't a top-five matchup. What's happening there? But people bottle that stuff up like you were talking about. Carolina fans and Tennessee fans have been talking about that thing since, since zeros were on the clock this time last year. I agree. And I think, too, when you look at the two teams – 
South Carolina with, with Mario Anderson found a little bit of the run game last week. They've, they've had to plug and play a couple of offensive linemen, a couple of freshmen helping out up there. Uh, I mean, think about with Juice Wells out, Xavier Leggett now leads the nation in receiving yards. He's been big time. But you got a quarterback that's throwing the ball to Luke Doty, handing the ball to on Joyner. Nothing against those two players, but it's just they're kind of patchwork all over the place. Yeah. And defensively, they got a bunch of veterans on that side of the ball that could complicate things for Joe Milton and company. I'm not as down on the Tennessee offense as everybody else is. I think Joe's just kind of managing and running the offense in a good way. So interested to see if they can sort of light it up a little bit more Saturday night. We, we talked about it earlier in the show. If there is an ignition moment for the Tennessee passing game, this is probably it this week. All right. I do not traffic in the AP poll. I know you at least give it a passing glance per week. So let's start firing these questions off. I know this is the direction you okay. want to go. So I'm teed up. I got, I got the friction between my hands. Let's get hot here. All right, so you can ignore the AP poll you want. It's still newsworthy. Um, some people say they ignore the JP poll, even though it's newsworthy. But either way, they're out there, so we should pay attention to them and know what they look like. I want to know from you, which team in this top 10 has exceeded your expectations the most this season? Washington. We had Washington in the low teens or maybe around 20 in the preseason JP poll, but I take pride in the fact that now I get to look at the AP and I get to say, you guys are too low on Washington. Like I'm looking at Washington, we got them in the top five right now, so we've course corrected. Washington has just zoomed in the JP, past where they are in the AP. Um, here's the thing about them. They are the top 10 team no one's really watched this year. And when people tell you they've watched a Washington game, they're lying to you. They have not watched entire Washington games. And I'm not a hypocrite because knowing we were going to go down this road today, last night I laid in bed, stay with me, I laid in bed and I watched Washington games and I watched their game against Cal because I remember I was at Notre Dame and I had a buddy text me saying, ooh, Washington, they're stumbling out of the gate here. They won 59 to 32 and a lot of those 32 points were in garbage time. Michael Penix is like watching a ringer at the circus or at the fair who can who can cheat all the games that are made to cheat you. Michael Penix looks like the dude who figured out that the rims aren't quite as tight on this particular game over here, and he's just draining three after three after three. They've got probably two, if not three, high-level NFL wide receivers on that team. They are not poor. They're not smoking mirrors on the line of scrimmage. They're really, really good. Really good. So I did not expect them to be better this year than they were last year, and I think they are. Absolutely. Watch the first play of the game. Left tackle pulls around, absolutely bulldozes uh, a Cal linebacker. Yeah. Physicality at the point of attack on both sides. They had a special team score. They had a defensive score early in that game. I, I think but some of us had Washington in the playoffs, so we're not super surprised that this is happening so far. So. Some did. Yeah. Don't don't do the awkward silence, please. You can't reach around because you don't have the flexibility you once had to pat yourself on the back. But we just heard you do it. So who surprised you? Is it only Washington? Like, what about Utah? Utah hasn't even played Jesse and Utah sitting in there in the top 10 of the AP poll right now. It would it would be Utah because of what they've done at quarterback and how what a brilliant job Andy Ludwig has done with that offense, not only playing a backup quarterback but managing two backup quarterbacks and using them situationally, still at the point of attack defensively and on offense. I think they're exactly what they've been the last couple of years. I'll give you another one though, 
And I'll eat a little bit of crow on this one. Ohio State would be the other team. Utah, you see there what they've gone through. Because I love that UCLA rushing attack. I think that was a more difficult win than people are going to talk about. I cannot wait for Friday night. Holy hell, that's going to be an awesome game uh, with Utah at Oregon State. Uh, I think the line is a little bit weird on that one also. Uh, We can throw that in and talk about it later. I think that's a strong resume. Uh, I thought a lot of Baylor until I saw what the Texas defensive line did to him last weekend. And I think a little bit different of Baylor now. But I will also throw in Ohio State because I came on with you and I told you that I didn't think Ohio State was a team that was ready to win a national championship this year. We all went nuts about the receiving core. Yes, they're great, but that defensive line is proving a little bit more to me. I think quarterback being able to manage the game, make big plays in big moments, proving different things to me. And Travion Henderson looks fantastic for the Buckeyes right now. So even though all of America had Ohio State probably in the top four at this point in the season, I did not. So I'll say Ohio State has been a pleasant surprise for me so far this year. Yeah, I kind of got a deadpan that one. I mean, some of us had him in the national championship game, so no surprise here. Mm-hmm. That line, by the way, on that Oregon State-Utah game, and that's a Friday night game, as you mentioned, um, Oregon State minus three and a half. Now the model, which I'm, I'm holding in my hand, it leans Utah, and I could not disagree with it more. I, I think Beaver bounce back here, and you know how rarely I use that combination of words together, but Beaver bounce back. I like Oregon State this week. What say you? Uh, I kind of like Oregon State, too, because I feel like it's a, it's a bit of a must-have with what lies ahead. Being at home is going to be worth a lot. I love how DJs come in, and they, they don't ask him to do too much in that offense. They will be able to run the football because they do it in so many different ways. It's just that when I saw it, I was first a little bit surprised about it, but I I do think Oregon State finds a way to get that win. I just realized I just picked against Utah again. I'm 0 for 750 now over the last 750 games picking against Utah. And let me give you a little true-false. These were always the easiest because at worst it's a 50-50 proposition. True or false? All right, let's set the stage first before I ask the question. So NIL is what NIL is right now. The transfer portal is what it is. Saban was at his presser the other day and said, hey, we all know what it is. We're going to have to do whatever we have to do to compete translation, get this thing under control, or we're just going to outspend you, I guess is what he's trying to say. So I ask you, true or false, a top 15 head coach will retire within the next three years in the prime of his career with NIL and or the portal being the reason he retires. True. I agree. And I think there are are a couple of reasons why. One, we you and I both know what it is. Most people have an idea what it is. Uh, the time consumption involved with managing your own roster. And then, too, uh, like we could go way down this rabbit hole when we talk about teams that maybe we don't know exactly what they are just yet or that continuity, that rhythm, that feel is not there with them just yet. Let's take a team like Auburn. We thought that offensive line was going to be so much better. They added all this talent. They haven't played great football this season. Look at Ole Miss a team that everybody thought, oh, all this talent, all these receivers are going to be able to do all these different things. Uh, They can't run the football. That's a team that hasn't looked like what I think we thought they were going to look like. And they're, I mean, teetering on the edge here with what lies in the next two weeks on their schedule. So being able to put a great football team together with so many different parts on an annual basis, I think is going to become frustrating. And then look at how much more you're relying on people who are just going to want more from you on a daily basis. That's not just players, Josh. That's boosters. And the one thing that I think a lot of coaches don't like is asking for more all the time because they know there's going to be a point in time that that recircles and those people are going to come back and say, but I gave you $20 million for that building or the stadium's got my name on it. 
Like, I want to come to practice. I want you to come to lunch with me. I want you to come to my foundation's meeting. I want you to come speak at my touchdown club. Whatever it is, they're going to want more. And there comes a point in time where you have no more to give. You have no more of your time to give, no more of your effort to give. There's just not enough in the day to be able to do it all. And those difficulties are going to make some guys just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. The other part of it is the amount of money they're making. We're at a point now where coaches can coach two or three years with some of these salaries and say, I'm good. Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. You know, I've talked to a couple of coaches that have been fired recently that have said, I'm not in a hurry to go anywhere because I don't have to. And that's because of the buyouts that they're getting. Some guys are going to always rush back into it. But I think we're going to find some guys that are making so much money with the first five or eight years that they become a head coach. And then we get to this point that you and I are talking about. And they're going to say, no, thanks, man. I'm cool. I'll go hang out somewhere else. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, we are we are approaching the point. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be, but we're going to have like a top 10, 15 coach, prime years of his career, just say, I'm done. Portal NIL, this sport's not something I recognize anymore. You mentioned some terms. I got three R's. Resource, relationship, and reliability. The resources meaning what you just said. I need a bigger pot. Therefore, I got to ask my donors for more. They will then expect more reciprocated, which is a fourth R, reciprocated for me, I've only got 100% of myself. I can't all of a sudden have 120% of myself to give. The relationship aspect, I think, makes a lot of guys sick because recruiting, fifth R, used to really boil down to relationship, some resource on the side, but mainly relationship. And now you could be three years into a kid and, and know everything about his great aunt. And all of a sudden, someone just decides late in the game, we want him. They swoop in up the bid by 200k per year plus benefits with family and extensions and whatnot and free travel to and from games and he says coach i love you i love your wife i love your family i love your kids i I love that we've gotten to know you but business decision and number three is reliability and this is the most dangerous part you and i've talked about this off air i don't know that we're quite brave enough to do it on air yet but there are some rosters out there that are disproportionately reliant on portal talent. And those guys are not there because they love the campus. Those guys are not there because they forged particularly strong relationships with the coaching staff. They are mercenaries. They are acquired assets. And everything's cool as long as you're still in the top 10, 15. But if things go sideways and all of a sudden you get to late October, early November, and guys are checked out and you can't rely on critical portions of your roster anymore, that's not college football. That's not the sport these dudes grew up. That's not the way they were taught. It works. And I could easily see one of them who, who's built a little bit of a nest egg and a bankroll for themselves saying, I don't really recognize this anymore. You know what? I'll go, I'll go do what, uh, what Dan Mullen's doing right now. I'll go put on a suit and talk about this stuff from a distance and still make pretty good money sitting on a mountain of money I've already made. Y'all can have this. Someone's going to do that, I think. I have no doubt. Keep in mind, we just went past one of those landmarks this season. We're four games in, which means a lot of guys have played in four games. Yep. So you're going to start hearing about so-and-so not on the roster, so-and-so not with the team, so-and-so's on scout team. And you're going to ask yourself, why is this happening? What is going on here? What is the problem? Those guys are shutting it down. Yep. And they're telling the coaches they don't want to play football anymore this year because they know they want to transfer out and save that year to go play somewhere else. And that's just one small piece of everything we're talking about. Reliability. All right, sir, you're up. Hit me. What player do you think is having the best season thus far 
on defense in all of college football? I don't. I felt so ill-equipped to answer this when you asked me. I'll tell one that's. I'll tell you one that's popped for me because I've watched multiples of his games. Is Terry and Arnold at Alabama? I thought they had to play him last year as a true freshman, and he it was up and down. It was a little bumpy, and they've played him at two corner this year. And I thought his last game was probably his best game, but he's really come on strong. He's allowed them to do some things. You've also got McKinstry on that team who no one really wants to throw at. So I'm not going to sit here and claim I've watched every defender with a critical eye. I'll say one of the ones that's kind of popped off the screen to me is Terry and Arnold at Alabama. And what's crazy is he he gave up a couple big plays against Texas, and I think a lot of people immediately got down on him, and then he's really bounced back the last couple weeks. Uh, For me, and and – I, there are a lot of guys that are doing some good things, but when I watch Shamar Turner at Texas A&M, yep. I see someone who affects plays on an almost every down basis. And th- those aren't going to show up in the box score all the time, but forcing a run to cut back inside, forcing a quarterback to move or leave in the pocket, batting balls down, sacks, TFLs. Even if he doesn't have as many as other guys on his football team do, he is affecting plays on a more consistent basis than anybody I've seen on that side of the ball this year in college football. So, Shamar Turner, he's got some help up front because that that D-line's loaded, but he has been exceptional. He comes down inside. He can strike and shed, play the run. He goes outside. He can rush off the edge. He has been fantastic for the Aggies this season. Hey, what do you think they're going to look like with Max at quarterback now? I think they'll be fine. Uh, I think that there's a reason he was the backup quarterback. So I think that there was probably a little bit of a processing issue in comparison to what Connor Wigman had. Connor Wigman gets it out a little bit quicker. So maybe less quick game, more shot plays on the outside because I do think Max throws a nice deep ball. Um, And I think you probably – they needed to go back to the drawing board and some of their protections anyway because they've been taking too many quarterback hits as it is. I think that's something that's going to have to become even more valuable, one, because I don't think he sees that part of the game as well as Connor did. And then, two, you don't want to have to go to the next guy now. Then you'd be in big trouble. Yeah. All right, I got a really big opportunity for you to just throw some anonymous people under the bus here. You do radio every morning. So let's let's re-rack it here. You do Cube Show, and that's the entire YouTube channel. It does have a name contrary to semi-popular belief on other channels. Uh, you got Read and React that's going on with Roman Harper, another friend of the program, on Monday nights on SEC Network. You got a game every Saturday night, 7.30 Eastern kickoff. You got Tennessee, South Carolina this week. But also, you host Morning Drive Radio right there alongside friend of the program, Greg McElroy in Birmingham. And you guys take calls every now and then. So my question to you, it's a fill in the blanks, another easy one. Your least favorite type of call on radio is what? A uh, guy who hates coordinator call. Uh, and we get it when we get it after one game. We get it after a full season. Last year, uh, the probably most repetitive call we got was Pete Golding. This guy can't coach, man. I, Pete Golding just don't know defense. Uh, and then he's a terrible coach. He, he doesn't he doesn't understand players. The players don't like him. Why play calling is, is another thing. And you brought that up a couple weeks ago when we were on the show. Why, why is this guy calling now? He don't even know how to call plays. Uh, Tommy Reese has gotten a little bit of that already this year. It's, uh, it is, it's nonstop almost with somebody somewhere. But when it starts to go a little bit south on one side of the ball at Alabama or Auburn, it ignites. It, it, it's literally like gasoline on a fire. And it's sometimes hilarious, most of the time extremely annoying because 
Last year, those calls were coming in, and I can vividly remember looking over at my computer screen and saying, now, hold on a second, guys. <laughs> I'm seeing number eight in total defense. Yep. I'm seeing number six in rush defense. I'm seeing uh, number 11 in defensive efficiency. Now, pass defense is like 25, so it's, it could definitely be better. But holy hell, how many teams would love to have that right now? Um, and they just wanted the guy gone, thought he was terrible and couldn't coach. And I don't think that they – I think people accuse him of not knowing what color a football was yeah. at certain points in time. So, yeah. Hey, do you ever have the guy or girl, equal opportunity here, do you ever have the person who calls in – when an offensive performance has been underwhelming and said, well, we were vanilla last Saturday. We didn't really open the playbook as if they have a copy of it, as if they understand oh, yeah. that there, were, there was an active, there was a very engaged meeting in the building Thursday and head coach walks in and says, hey, pages 32 through 78, rip it out. They don't even exist this weekend. The, the chocolate ice cream is out of order. It's vanilla, vanilla, vanilla in here. If I see you being aggressive Saturday, if I see you implementing anything that we've worked on the entire spring and summer, you're out of a job. Do you ever get that guy who uh, is apparently privy to a lot more information than you and I are? Oh, absolutely. That person and then the other person that whichever portion of a side of the ball worked well and the other didn't. Uh, then they are completely inept at that portion that didn't work. So if they threw the ball well, why can't they run it? You just go out there and run the ball. I don't understand it. But it's it yeah it's it it's always complaining about something. But usually the inept coaching and play calling are the two most consistent calls of annoyance that we get on WJOX weekday morning. Seven. Yeah. So Ryan Day and Dan Landing were taking some heat this last week and like those dudes spoke their mind and I'm all for it. Even if I don't like it, I'm all for it. But here's what I want. I want the coach or assistant coach, maybe for an NIL deal of their own. We'll sweeten the pot if we need to. I'll talk to management. I want a guy once a week who's going to step up and go face to face with their critics and I want no punches pulled, and it can only be about games that have happened, so everything's in the rear view, and I want a guy to challenge a coordinator on what he didn't like about a call, and I want that coordinator to walk him through the actual procedure and mechanics of what went into what just happened on the field, and I want to watch the person's jaw go, and it is slowly, the gravity takes over, and the jaw eventually hits the ground, and he's like, Oh, that's what's going on every 30 or 40 seconds. That's what's going. Okay, carry on, sir. I also have the other guy, by the way, uh, very, very plentiful in the YouTube comments who says, I'm an idiot if I ever speak, not critically, but just less than glowingly about a team because anyone knows we were three or four plays away from this game being a blowout. Like if we just changed three or four plays in a football game, we blow them out. And I have never once had, to my knowledge, Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, I've never had someone come to me and say, you know, we did win by 24, but we were three or four plays away from this being a dogfight. We're probably not as good as we look. I, I think we kind of are secret garbage. I've never had that happen a single time. I don't know if it happens for you. It happens for me. No, I've never heard the person that uh, that, that tried to qualify why the game should have or could have mm -hmm. been closer than it actually was. That 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 person doesn't exist, I don't think. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a real human. We're going to have to use AI to find that individual to call into the show. All right, I got, I got time for one more over here. What you got in front of you there? All right, so I, I think one of the most intriguing games of the weekend is Kentucky and Florida yep. because when you look at what they've done this year, now Florida's resume is a lot better. You can't argue that. But the way they've played, 
what they've done. I feel like they are very similar teams, running the ball, stopping the run, how they've lost games, how they've won games. Some of them haven't lost. But I want to know, in that particular game, which player is more important to their team when it comes to them actually winning the game? Is it Spencer Rattler? Is it Joe Milton? Is it Graham Mertz? Or is it Devin Leary? And why? I think it's Rattler. I I could see Kentucky winning an ugly game. I could see Florida winning a game where Mertz doesn't even throw the ball 20 times. I could see Tennessee riding a decent performance from Milton with home field and South Carolina not being able to run the ball. I could see that happening. There is no world where South Carolina beats Tennessee and Spencer Rattler is anything other than like player of the game material. His stat line, I'm sure you guys will repeat this ad nauseum Saturday night and someone will complain about that. But his stat line last year, I, I think it probably needs to look fairly similar. Because like we talked about earlier, uh, someone who may not know any better would look and say, well, Spencer doesn't need to do what he did last year because Tennessee can't throw the ball like they, they were able to last year. Well, they haven't. But see, the thing about it is, like we talked about earlier in the show before you came on, there are a lot of critical numbers in this particular matchup that would lead me to believe it could be an ignition moment for the Tennessee passing game. So I think you are going to have to keep up with Joe Milton a little bit more than anybody else has had to keep up with him through the air this year. As Director Colin cheers in my ear, this is a welcome change from what they've seen so far. I think it's Spencer Rattler, and that's my final answer. It's tough to argue that, mainly because of the way that he's playing. Um, and then that, that cast that we talked about a little bit earlier, Mario Anderson, nobody watched him in Division Three of football. Xavier Leggett has been insane, but nobody had Luke Doty catching passes or on Joyner being one of your key players on offense. And then now you got multiple true freshmen helping out on the offensive line. The one thing I'll counter with is this. Devin Leary, second in the SEC in interceptions, yeah. thrown. Florida only has one takeaway this year. So the one thing that I was, I guess, counter to you and say is Devin Leary can't turn into the guy that gives Florida something they're not already getting. You allow Florida to flip the field or maybe get points off turnovers and become not only the number one defense in the SEC in total defense, which they are right now, but then one that also can take the ball away. You have no chance of winning that football game. That would sort of be the one counter that I would have to it. But I think all in all, it's absolutely Spencer Rattler based on the cast that he has and based on what he did to win this game last year and where that game's going to be. I, I think I think South Carolina needs a pretty good start to go win that football game, too. I think America got smarter. I think we converted a casual or 10 out there with, with this little back and forth this week. OK, look, I, I could so. I could promote you right now. But no one promotes you better and more shamelessly than you can promote yourself. So beg people. I'm giving you 20 seconds. I'm starting the timer now. Beg people to watch your stuff. Go. Uh, the podcast this week doubled what we did the week before, and I'm going to exclusively give credit to this show for that when you asked me about it, and I said we had a miserable week on Cube Show. All right, 10 seconds. Can you please just go click it and try to help us out at Cube Show 61 on YouTube? Uh, and you can also watch Read and React Mondays on the SEC Network at 6 p.m. Central with Rowan Harper and myself. You got two seconds. Do you want to do anything with it? All right. Too late. Yay. Two seconds are up. Cole Kubelik, thank you so much, sir. Have fun in Knoxville Saturday night and stay safe. By all means, stay I safe. I will try. I will try.
And we appreciate you guys for joining us. It's going to be a fun week. Don't sleep on weekends. Don't sleep on a single week. God only gives them 12, 12 per season. Don't sleep on any Saturday. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, Bradley, the associate, probably did something back there to help the show today. I'm Josh Pate. Take care. We'll see you Sunday night for Late Kick Live. Make sure you're following on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. Friday Night Lines, I don't know that I've ever said this before, Friday Night Lines will actually emanate from somewhere in Columbus, Georgia. Yes, friends, I will be in my own backyard to do Friday Night Lines, which probably means, probably means we're going 100% against the spread this week. So at Late Kick Josh, make sure you're following. Until Sunday night, take care, have a good weekend, and God bless.